Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us. And coming up in just a little bit, ESPN analyst Paul Biancardi will be our guest. We'll see what's going on with recruiting and everything else around college basketball. Well, Chris, uh, as you sit at the Blue Ribbon World Headquarters uh, just outside Chattanooga, it's been feast week for you guys already, hasn't it? <laughs> beast week, more like. Oh, beast week, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, as most of our readers know by now, my books were 34 days late. Now, uh, I'm not going to bore you with the myriad reasons why they were late. I will say in defense of the printer, best they've ever looked uh, from any printer I've ever used, best they were ever packaged and sent to me. But man, those 30 days added another month's worth of pre-orders onto what we're used to and getting out the first batch. Usually we're sending them out in October. And this year it was the first week of November. And it was hell bent for leather, man. Craziness. I, I called in all the help and support I can. I even enlisted a couple of my students who worked for pizza. I was prepared to pay them and they were so <laughs> kind. Uh, my next door neighbor who has a big old truck uh, to get more books at, at a time to the, the post office. So uh, I made some friends at the post office too over the years and they were helpful. But the, the, the net result is I remember one year I never covered much NBA, but I, I went down to Atlanta to see Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. And, and I walked into the locker room after, and those two dudes had uh, ice bags strapped to their knees. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I need to have ice bags strapped to my knees because I bet I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm a hands-on company owner. I don't just sit back and hire people to do my stuff. I'll bet I, uh, this is no joke because we, we ordered we had four tons of books uh, shipped off to us. And I guarantee you, I between getting them here and there and there to the post office, I bet I lifted six tons last week. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and that's tough on the old knees, I've I found. I was okay for like five days. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm. I'm I'm beating Father Time, and then yesterday, <laughs> Father Time said it was knocking on the door. <laughs> yeah, the old joints started barking. So uh, anyway, glad that the readers uh, have gotten their books. I sent out an email, a couple of emails with progress over the course, and 98% were super supportive. And uh, one guy quoted the old uh, Ali McGraw movie Love Story. He said, "Publishing Blue Ribbon." means never having to say you're sorry and uh <laughs> one guy said i'll just have to read faster and one guy said blue ribbon is worth the wait uh and so many others were talking about how they've passed it on to their their children and i got a real little verklempt on those uh one guy wrote me and he says i hope you guys are around so my son can introduce it to his sons so uh i've been heartened by all that uh but I, I need some Advil, man. <laughs> well, pe people know a good thing when they see it, and uh, it's always well worth the wait. If I give you my address, can you uh, send me one, maybe? Yes, indeed. I wanted to bring it to you in person, but you are a jet setter. Uh, we were talking <laughs> about that before the show. Oh, man. I feel like I've been everywhere in the last week. Uh, well, let's go back to last Friday. I did Vanderbilt's basketball game against Southern Miss at home. And after the game, I drove to Lexington and spent the night, got up early, 
did an, an early Vanderbilt-Kentucky football game that was extremely cold but also extremely fun because Vanderbilt scored his first SEC win for Coach Clark Lee. Made it back home. On Sunday, I worked Titans and Broncos. I work in the press box on game days at the Titans right. games. Then on Monday, I uh, flew to Philadelphia with Vanderbilt's basketball team. We got off the plane, had a couple bites of cheesesteak, and then we took the train down to the Eagles Commanders Monday night football game <laughs> and hung out there. Uh, it was, it was, Living large. It was really fun. Uh, as the nation's leading consumer of Diet Mountain Dew, it was fun to hang out with uh, some of the Pepsi <laughs> folks. They had a very nice place to watch the football game. I, I will say that with uh, lots of food. It was, it, was, it was really, really fun. And then uh, on Tuesday morning, we got up and went over to the historic Palestra in Philadelphia for our shoot-around, which... That is one of the greatest buildings in any level of basketball. I had been in the there. Mecca. I had been in there and walked around once before. It's of course the historic home of the uh, Philly Big Five, and uh, it was just neat to just to be in there and, and feel the history of that place. And our guys went through the practice and everything. And then uh, Vanderbilt played at Temple on Tuesday night and scored a first win. That, that team really needed that victory and and really played well. Shorthanded down a couple guys due to injury, but uh, Liam Robbins was excellent, scored 20 points, had a big block to finish the game. They got him inside and he scored at close range. And Miles Studi hit seven threes. Ezra Magnan, uh, go-ahead field goal with 22 seconds, made a little baseline jumper. Damian Dunn for Temple was unbelievable. He scored 38 points. He was just unconscious, knocking oh. down threes. Uh, he and uh, another guy, Hicks, uh, they combined for 13 three-pointers in that game. Temple had just beaten Villanova, so they were probably feeling yeah. pretty good about themselves. They had had a court storm in that building um, in, on their home court the, just the uh, Friday before we were there. But nice road win back home and uh, getting ready to do it all again. I'll, I'll, I'm doing the uh, Vanderbilt women's game tonight against Austin P. Men's game tomorrow night against Moorhead State. Football on Saturday against Florida. And then on Sunday, we're flying to California for a Thanksgiving tournament out there. So it's really fun. It's what we call crossover season where football and basketball come right. together. And it's it's a lot of stuff going on right now. Let's talk about some of the uh, trends you've seen as you watch basketball through this first week or so of this uh, season that's just begun uh, in the last 10 days or so. Well, the thing that jumps out to me is Texas – the Athletic just put out a power ranking and rated Texas number one. And that's not necessarily based on what Texas has done so far, although they spanked Gonzaga last night. They also beat UTEP and Houston uh, Christian in the regular season. But in an exhibition game just before the start of the regular season, they wore out Arkansas by 30. So I'm thinking Texas is going to be a load and it was cool last night against Gonzaga. Tyrese Hunter, the uh, freshman point guard, uh, well, he was a freshman last year at Iowa State and really helped quickly turn around that program. Uh, he transfers. He scores 26 points against Gonzaga. And Gonzaga's had a rough road to hoe, but in, in, in fairness to Mark Few, they'll play like Tom Izzo, anybody, anywhere, anytime. Yeah. And, they lost handily to Tennessee in an exhibition game down in Texas. Uh, and, you know, they they were uh, – then they go down to, to, to Texas again. Uh, maybe they should avoid the state of Texas. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, then they play on the aircraft carrier and, and uh, hand, you know, get past Michigan State. But uh, crazy, crazy. But Texas right now looks formidable. They lost a few key guys, but they, they've gained back guys like Timmy Allen. Marcus Carr is now freed from playing the point because of Hunter's presence. Dylan DeSue, who you saw play at Vanderbilt, is yep. back and healthy. 
And Christian Bishop, who started his career at Creighton, I think he's a really versatile forward. Uh, and then they've got a Dylan Mitchell, a five-star freshman. So, man, and they just play really tough under Chris Beard. They had a good year last year, not a great year. I think there were some personnel problems uh, that were never really reported out. But now everybody seems to be on the same page. So uh, fear fear the horns. Yeah, they got a new building to play in, too. That place looks pretty nice. Absolutely. Yeah, Moody Center. Yeah, I, I saw some of that game uh, last night, the uh, Texas and Gonzaga game. They, they really – uh, took care of the Zags pretty well. 93-74. You mentioned Tyrese Hunter, 5 of 8 from 3 with 26 points. Uh, and you look at the the stretch of schedule for Gonzaga. You mentioned that game on the aircraft carrier, 64-63. They beat Michigan State just barely. Played the road game at Texas. They're going to play Kentucky on Sunday in Spokane. They'll play against Baylor on December 2nd. They're also going to play Washington and Alabama in their uh, non-conference schedule. So, yeah, anytime, anybody, anywhere, that uh, definitely holds true for this Gonzaga schedule uh, so far this season and uh, leading into their conference play. Let's talk about the uh, the games in the State Farms Champion Classic. Uh, it was an Indy back on Tuesday. The first game, Michigan State beat number 4 Kentucky 86-77 and double overtime. Oscar Sheebway came back. He came off the bench. He played 34 minutes, 22 points, 18 rebounds, and four blocks. But in what I watched of it, I didn't think the Wildcats rebounded or defended the basket very well. It was a, a dunk fest at times for the Spartans, uh, and they also shot free throws great. Uh, Michigan State was 23 out of 27 from the foul line. I thought Sissoko looked good. He played above the rim and scored 16 points with eight rebounds. So Tom Izzo's team uh, may not have been ranked a whole lot going into the season, but they've looked good so far, even uh, with you know a, a loss to Gonzaga very close in that big win over Kentucky and Indianapolis the other night. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that you hear or heard about Michigan State prior to the season was the great play of their guards. But, boy, their front court has really stepped up. Joey Hauser uh, against Kentucky, he, he didn't have a good game on the aircraft carrier. And he said, he jokingly said he thought the wind affected his jumper on the, on the aircraft mm-hmm. carrier. But he was on fire against Kentucky. And like you said, Sissoko, I think a lot of people weren't sure how much of a factor he could be, but he had 16 and eight uh, playing against the presumptive preseason player of the year in Oscar Shibway. And then Malik Hall had 20 and, and five boards. So those are all big dudes. And I just like, I've always admired Coach Izzo by the fact that he'll go literally around the world to play, he'll play on aircraft carriers. He doesn't care where he goes. He doesn't really care that much about the record. I know he obviously doesn't want to lose, but more important to him is preparing his team for the Big Ten schedule and what lies beyond that. And, wow, I've been really impressed with Michigan State. And that win over Kentucky was one of the more impressive of the young season because I just last week I said on this show, shows what I know, that Kentucky was going to be really, really hard to beat. I still believe that. But on this night, uh, with a crowd in, in the Midwest, I, I think Michigan State performed uh, as well as, as Coach Izzo could have hoped. Then in the second game, he had number six Kansas beating seventh-ranked Duke 69-64. Jalen Wilson, a career-high 25 points. Dewan Harris had 10 assists, and the uh, freshman Grady Dick had three key buckets toward the end of the game. 
uh, it's interesting to have a Kansas Duke game and no Bill Self and no Coach K uh, yeah. Jayhawks without Bill Self, their head coach, who suspended for a few games here. Uh, they finished the game though on a 15 to five run. Duke really played pretty well. It was the first really big game for them under John Shire as head coach. Uh, it's funny to read some of the uh, the comments while the game was going on. People's like, boy, he, he doesn't work the refs quite like Coach K. I don't know that anybody huh. works the refs quite like Coach K. No. I'm sure that's something he'll learn as he goes along. But I'm you know, really you know, pretty impressive performances for both those teams in that game. Yeah, I, I think he's he's a lot different than Coach K. I think he's more laid back and you know just a different era. And Coach K, his you know he was a protege of Bob Knight, and so. I, I thought they played well. They're a young team, a lot of newcomers, even even their uh, portal acquisitions are, are just trying to learn a system. Kansas, I mean, Norm Roberts, they seem to do okay without Bill Self. Uh, Jalen Wilson had 25 points in that game. We put him on our Blue Ribbon All-American team. And Kevin McCuller, the Texas Tech transfer, he's a stat feed stuffer, great positional size, uh, at 6-6, he had 12.6 boards, two assists, two blocks, and a steal. That's a good night work for anyone. Uh, a couple other thoughts on, on things going on in, in this first week or so. We talked about some of the big games over these uh, last few days. What about the road trip for Illinois State? Back-to-back games against Northwestern State, which I find is really interesting. They won there on Saturday. They'll play them uh, on Thursday at home. Uh, Northwestern State, by the way, beat TCU 64-63. But tell us about the Illinois State's road trip, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're supposed to fly down to Louisiana, but the flight got canceled, and they had other complications, so they, were, they had to stay in the St. Louis airport for 12 hours. They eventually had to get a room. Next morning, they fly to Houston. They get on a four-hour bus bus ride to Nat to Tochis, uh, and they finally get there at four twenty for a seven o'clock game. They eat a little bit, go to the arena, and win by two. So uh, it's it's interesting what uh, travel can do. I know you've been through some travel ordeals in your time. But uh, I thought that was one of the neater stories of, of the young season so far. Some of the road trips that happened during these uh, seasons are unbelievable. I always think of one that I was a part of with Belmont a few years back. And the interesting part for me was is that my wife went on the trip with me, and we actually drove separate from the team. Belmont was going over to play at USC Upstate in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And so I looked at the weather, and I knew Belmont was the team was going to go through Atlanta and go that way. And I looked at it and said, I don't know that that's the the world's best idea. I think we might go the other way. And so we went up through like uh, East Tennessee, up through like Bristol, yeah. you know, Tri Cities, Johnson City, up up that way and, and and around. And I think we actually stopped in Johnson City and spent the night, and then drove the rest of the way the next morning. Well, Belmont's bus got stuck on the interstate on on like I eighty five up there north of Atlanta. And so uh-huh. they spent the night on the interstate. And at one point, legendary Belmont coach and friend of the show, Rick Bird, borrowed a winter hat from one of the players and hopped off the bus. And he and a couple others walked a mile or so to the next exit and got McDonald's for the team and came back. And that is like a story of legend around the uh, That's Belmont a man's program. Man right there. So all of that happens. They spend the night on the bus. The game gets pushed back to Saturday night. It was supposed to be like a, an early start on Saturday. So they push the game back a little bit. Belmont rolls into town. 
you know, these guys, no telling how little or much rest they've had or anything like that. No real shoot around or anything. They roll in there and win the game. And all the years I did the games, I thought that was one of the most impressive performances I, I, I ever saw, especially the part with Coach Bird borrowing this winter hat, which, you know, it was kind of a, a funny, you know, <laughs> old, old school picture. winter hat. I wish they – somebody surely has a picture of that, but that was unbelievable. It was uh, a really cool story. You know, story. Speaking, uh, speaking of travel, man, the SWAC, which traditionally their teams have to crisscross the country playing money games, they're not even really in any kind of order. They'll fly out to the West Coast, back to the East Coast, back out to the West Coast. It's really a shame they have to do that. Last year, the entire 12-team league played only eight games against Division One non-conference opponent. Eight. Uh, and it's no surprise that they usually have 0-10 records going into their conference season. This year's different. Uh, is, is different. Thanks to the Pac-12. Uh, the league connected with the SWAC for what's called the Legacy Series. It's part of an effort to give a wider exposure to historically black colleges and universities. And, uh, you know, no good deed is left unpunished. The Colorado went to Grambling, got beat. Uh, Texas uh, Southern hosts Arizona State. Uh, a pack, actually hosted a Pac-12 member for the first time in 30 years and beats Arizona State. And now Alcorn State uh, uh, went out to, uh, to uh, Wichita State and won. So Dr. Charles McClellan, who's the commissioner of the SWAC, he's also on the NCAA Men's Selection Committee. He's feeling pretty good right now uh, with all these wins. So I think it's kind of cool, and it underscores this fact. And I've always said it because I went to two, uh, what you call, I hate the term, mid-major schools. If the playing field were level, uh, if some of these schools could just get the occasional uh, Power Five conference uh, team to come to their place, things could be a lot different. And that's why they don't come to those places because Colorado goes to Grambling, thinks it's going to be an easy dub. They get beat. And then the chain reaction of that, they play uh, t- Tennessee in in Nashville. And Tennessee thinks, well, we can handle these guys. We've beaten them the last two years. We're better now, and we're, we're in a, you know, a favorable arena in Nashville. Colorado wears them out. Uh, so uh, it's funny, just a little, uh, I don't know, fair scheduling, if, if you will, yeah. uh, can have a big impact. And it's a little bit of a preview of what we could see once we get into postseason and these teams have to play one another. I give the Pac-12 credit for doing that because I, I've seen it for years just like you have. I mean, Vanderbilt usually plays a couple HBCUs uh, during the course of the non-conference. And you look at the schedules for these teams and they're playing this marathon of road games. And, and yeah. so much of it is about making the money they need to keep their athletic departments afloat. I mean, that, that's really what a whole lot of it's about. But I think it's cool that these things happen, and, and I hope more of it will happen as we, we go forward here. Yeah, I mean, for years I've been an advocate and mentioned it to several coaches, wrote about it when I was working for newspapers. Why couldn't Tennessee have an all-college tournament to start the season? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's logistically possible, but I think you could have it in Nashville. What do we got, nine D1s? Maybe you give the power conferences a – uh, maybe it's a round robin and you give the power conferences just so they'll play a buy into the second round. I don't know, but I think it would be 
it would call a lot of attention to basketball in our state. And, and I, I'd, I'd like to see more leagues, um, a 10 Missouri Valley uh, go at it and, and stuff like that just to help one another. And I like seeing these, these games where even though at, at great personal cost, Colorado went into Grambling and got beat Jeff Goodman, uh, another friend of the show, actually had Grambling ranked in his top 25 this week. I'm not so sure that, you know, they're the 25th best team in the country, but I think he was making a point and it was, it was kind of cool to see. Chris, this week's guest is a guy who knows it all when it comes to college basketball recruiting. He is excellent, whether talking recruiting or calling games or whatever the case might be. ESPN analyst, Paul Biancardi, what's going on? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Paul, I, this time of year, you're our go-to guy for recruiting, man. And I wanted to get you on. It's unbelievable what some of these teams have done in the early signing period. Let's start with Mr. DJ Wagner and Kentucky. Tell us about DJ. Tell us about the haul that Kentucky's brought in. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was the big fish in the class because he was the number one player on our board. Um, he's got a tremendous competitive spirit. And as you watch college basketball games every night, I know you guys do. Uh, like I do, you're looking for that competitive spirit uh, in players throughout the whole season. He's talented. Um, he's, he's a, you can play him at the one or the two. Uh, when I say he's talented, he's, he's a downhill attacking driver who's an improved three-point shooter, and he can find his teammates when he needs to. So he's, he's a little bit of a one, a little bit of a two. But I'm telling you guys this, he's got that Michael Kidd Gilchrist competitive spirit. Uh, uh, yeah. And I think and I think he can impact games uh, with that, but also his talent and his ability because, as you know, it's a guards game, um, and I think he'll be able to do that quite well for Kentucky. And uh, big, big get for John Calipari, his fourth number one player since he's taken over at Lexington and – it's their seventh number one class. I guess didn't Duke have a, a player reclassify uh, to this and, and is playing now, yet they've still got the number two class. Talk about John Shire's uh, amazing recruiting ability. Obviously, he's got the program and, and Duke University to recruit to, but they still have to play for a coach, and he's obviously impressed a lot of uh, young, talented players. Well, and don't forget the class that he has right now, the freshman group, they were number one. And that was his first real class as a head coach. I do know that Coach K helped him, obviously, was, was still the head coach at the time. John recruited the class. Coach K spent a lot of time with those kids to ensure that he would be around if, if needed. So John Shire gets the first class as number one, uh, and this class that he – has in 2023 they were number one until cal got dj wagner so i love the class that duke has brought in next year it's in some ways it's it's not as big i mean you can't get bigger than filipowski lively and mark mitchell in terms of size they also have a kid christian reeves he's a freshman too uh, he'll be very good for duke down the road but the 2023 class guys they got shooters they got guys who, who can shoot the basketball and i think that you know, in this day and age, that's always so important. I think those guys come in, I don't want to say ready to score, but, you know, ready to shoot the ball and 
confident shooters, probably better shooting class. I'll tell you why. Mackenzie Mbako, he's a 6'8", three-point shooter. That's what he is. Now, Sean Stewart, if you guys remember, his dad was uh, Michael Stewart, played yeah. in the NBA. Sean is just ferocious on the glass, defensively taking charges and blocking shots. That That's his bread and butter. But now the two guards, Caleb Foster, Jared McCain, excellent, excellent. You know, we're talking 40 45% three-point shooters uh, for their career. And then they have TJ Power, who's a top 40 recruit out of Boston, and he's a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, pick-and-pop guy. So all these guys, except for Stewart, can legitimately shoot the three-point shot. And I think that, you know, as we go forward, you know, that's the most important part of, of that class. Paul Biancardi is our guest from ESPN. Who's still out there that you're keeping an eye on, and what teams can still finish strong with uh, another couple additions here? Well, about 95 to 96% of the 100 is – is either verbal or signed. Um, A.J. Johnson is the last guy that I think that would be impactful. Uh, LSU and Texas right now are for him. 6'5", point guard, if you will, uh, really can see the floor and can beat people off the dribble. I mean, this this kid is special at 6'5". He's one of the more talented players. We have him right inside the top 25 in the class, you know, mcdonald's all-american borderline candidate so uh, i think he'll make an impact obviously if he goes to texas uh, they have ron holland who is a difference maker he's a michael kidd gilchrist type with a michael kidd gilchrist game um, six eight six nine defender rebounder great energy maybe the best energy and effort in the class if he goes to lsu that would obviously put them possibly in the top 25 when it comes to class rankings uh, they have a couple of four-star guys that are good, but I would say he's the one guy out there that you got to pay attention to. You guys were talking earlier about DJ Wagner choosing Kentucky. To me, that's just crazy to think about, given his family's history with Louisville. Uh, obviously, his grandfather Milt Wagner was a great player there. I remember seeing him, you know, when I was younger. Uh, yeah. Do, do those things though not maybe matter as much as they used to? Those family ties, and it's more about players finding, you know, either the good fit or a, a path they think will get them to where they want to go as far as professional ball. I mean, what about that that element to recruiting these days? Well, that that's a great question because there is an element that you know the blood is thicker than the water. Uh, look at Cade Cunningham. He went to Oklahoma State because his brother, and Cannon Cunningham, was an assistant coach. Uh, the Mobleys went to USC because their dad was on staff. Now, if you have somebody on staff full time, that may make a difference. Milt's in a support role. Uh, but I don't think Milt was solely hired to get DJ Wagner. I really don't. Uh, I don't know that. It's just my gut. Kenny Payne and Milt Wagner, you know, have a long history together on the court and as friends. I think Milt was brought on for his expertise. Uh, obviously, that to maybe get DJ Wagner, uh, but also to recruit maybe the Camden, New Jersey area yep. uh, as a whole. But here's the thing that people don't realize about DJ Wagner. Now, his brother is on the team at Kentucky. Kareem Watkins is on the roster. Nobody talks about that. Everybody's huh. talking about huh. Milt Wagner, his right, grandfather. Right. Yeah. And he loves his grandfather, and his grandfather is – he said something to me the other day that was really profound. He said, you know what? My grandfather's always been my grandfather throughout this process. Always told me to, you know, go where I felt comfortable, go where 
I felt that I had the best chance to, to reach my dreams. Um, so that was really cool. But his brother, Kareem, you know, didn't try to recruit him to Kentucky, but wanted to be with DJ. And they're really close brothers. And nobody mentions that. So Kareem obviously was a big factor in this. And let's not forget that Cal coached Dewan at Memphis. Right. Right. So DJ has really grown up around Cal in many ways. I mean, he's been a big blue madness probably more than any other recruit uh, <laughs> out there. Now, but he couldn't make the decision, he told me right away, because once Kenny Payne got the Louisville job, you know, Kenny Payne is, is connected to his, you know, his grandfather. Then his grandfather gets hired. And so he went back and forth with that a lot. And um, he just kind of struggled with the decision and then finally realized that, you know, Kentucky and John Calipari is where he wanted to be and who he wanted to be with. You mentioned Camden, New Jersey. It made me think of the old Camden connection on, on those Louisville teams in the 80s, and I was trying to remember who it was. It, it was it was Milt Wagner, Billy Thompson, and Kevin Walls. Is that right? Does that oh sound familiar? Oh, my gosh. Yes. And, and you know, the, the kids – the kids want to go where they think they can shine um, the most and sometimes the fastest. Now, DJ's not into speed. When you talk about one and done, he, he talks about winning, which I absolutely love and I'm sure you guys do as well. Like, he doesn't say, I'm out or, you know, I'm going to be, you know, a lottery pick or anything like that. He just says, I'm going there to win and it's God's plan for me for whatever happens. And I don't think that's lip service with DJ Wagner. I, I, I think that's truly how he feels. And um, I, that's why I think he's really special because he has great perspective uh, for a young kid with, with the limelight and, and the notoriety and the prestige. But he still, he still keeps it real simple and focused for himself. Paul, on Monday, you texted me. Um, you had an analysis piece uh, along with Jeff Borzello about DJ. And you said, hey, Chris, the SEC is recruiting at a high level. And I got to looking at all the recruiting classes from the SEC. And, man, it's it seems like the, the SEC just means more these last few years because, you know, Tennessee, Arkansas, obviously Kentucky always. LSU salvaged a great class last year after the coaching change. Talk about this latest batch of SEC recruits. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, when it comes to recruiting, I, I, I really look at since John Calipari entered the SEC, the bar has been raised. And yeah. other co other coaches have jumped in and, and done a sensational job. You look at um, Bruce Pearl, what he's done, Nate Oates, uh, certainly uh, Eric Musselman. Uh, those three guys really stand out in recruiting. Uh, Will Wade did a terrific job. It is time at LSU and, you know, Mississippi State, Mississippi, they, they always have their hand on a top prospect. Uh, so it, it, and Tennessee, uh, our guy, yeah. Rick Barnes, I mean, he, he, you know, people said he was, you know, dead and buried in, in the coaching profession. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not only did he come in with recruits like Grant Williams, who I watched last night again for the Celtics um, with great evaluations with those guys, but, you know, bringing in some high talented players. So, um, yeah, next year, SEC now, when it comes to recruiting, they have 23 of the top 100 prospects this year, meaning the wow. freshman class in college Almost basketball. Almost a quarter of them. Yeah, now it's tied with the ACC, so i got to give the ACC some props. Yeah, um, exactly. So those two conferences have really crushed it. Uh, and it's cyclical. Some Sometimes other 
conferences have greater needs. Uh, but the ACC and the SEC have done a, a marvelous job. They did it, you know, this year at freshman college basketball. And next year, I mean, uh, Kentucky's group is real exciting. I mean, I think it's maybe the best trio of guards that they've, they've gotten uh, in one class, whether it's two wow. or three. Yeah, Dillingham's a bucket. Dillingham is a bucket. If you need one guy to get you a bucket next year, uh, shot clock is dark and uh, you put the ball in his hands. I'm, I'm going Robert Dillingham because he'll get his shot off. He's very crafty and clever. Uh, Reed Shepard, you know, he's, he's Jeff's son, the legend at um, Kentucky. His mom was also a great player at Kentucky. So he, he's, he's fundamentally sound. He's, he's terrific at the basics. He's tough. He's competitive. That, that's the thing. These guys are all competitive next year. Um, not so sure how competitive Bradshaw is right now, but Justin Edwards, Dillingham, Shepard, and Wagner, uh, those are alpha males. Uh, so that, I think that, along with their skill, is going to help. But, you know, next year you got Arkansas has Bayfall just committed. I mean, the guy's a monster inside. There's a guy going to Auburn you, you guys are going to love, uh, Holloway. And uh, he can shoot it. He reminds me of a Marcus Howard type six footer who can drain it from deep. Maybe the one of the best three point shooters in the senior class. So Auburn certainly has stepped up, and and Arkansas and Tennessee again. Um, I I just can't put my arms around how the SEC has really changed since Cal's got to it. I mean, it was good before that, but you guys know this: it was a football conference before Cal got there. And it, it'll still be a football conference years down the road, but you're absolutely right. The uh, the level of coaching talent and, and player talent in the league is is definitely made a jump yeah. uh, over the last few years. Paul, before we let you go, uh, you mentioned before we came on a little news from McDonald's, and, and it's not that the uh, McRib is back for a limited time only. What can you tell us? <laughs> <laughs> well, McDonald's is going to change their location. Uh, they've done it in Chicago for years, and um, it's semi-breaking news because it it happened right before this podcast. So they are moving their location to Houston next year um, for the McDonald's All-American game. And you guys know the talent that goes in that game. These are future lottery picks, number one picks, um, college stars, guys that really impact college basketball. So I'm very fortunate and I'm always excited to go to the practices and to call the games. So they got a new location this year in Houston. It'll be exciting. We're always excited to have you on the show. Really appreciate the time. Paul Biancardi from ESPN. Uh, hope we can catch up with you again down the road. Safe travels, man. Well, thank you. The early signing period is over. Let's do this again. Thanks, buddy. Always fun having ESPN analyst Paul Biancardi join us. Uh, just knows his stuff when it comes to recruiting. He can talk about everybody uh, on the list. So uh, fun to get the update from Paul, and I'm sure we'll check in with him again down the road. Chris, time to wrap up this edition of our show, and we like to do it uh, with, with some sort of update from whatever Star Wars show is going on. That's what we usually do, and now it's, it's Andor, which has become quickly one of my favorite series they've done. It's just it's a little darker than some of the other ones are, and, and if you saw and liked Rogue One, like I know both of us did, uh, yep. you understand a little more of the, the storyline and what it's leading into. I have not seen the episode that just came out yesterday, but I saw it all the way up to where they escaped from the uh, the prison where they were building whatever it was they were building. They got them to, they shorted out the electrical system and turned off the, the electric floor and then uh, 
got to the top of it and one way out and they jumped off into the water and that they was the took last some I saw. Triple gainers they off they the sure tower. did, man. <laughs> that was an unbelievable episode to see the escape and then there's the other part of the storyline that's going on with the Empire and so forth. So uh it, it's just a terrific series, I think. I think so too. And I have seen the latest one. It dropped on Wednesday. I'm not gonna give away as much as we usually might because some people probably haven't seen it but suffice it to say that uh cassian played by excellently by diego luna is on the lamb again and he has suffered a great personal loss and the empire is hoping that loss will lure him back to ferrix uh the planet where he previously escaped from so they can put their hooks in him but something tells me they're not going to be able to do it. There's a great scene between Luthen, played by Stellan Skarsgård, and Saul, played by Forrest Whitaker, that is not to be missed. This is just a great show. And what's cool about it is the showrunner was a guy that wasn't a Star Wars geek. He brings an outside perspective to it. And I think that's made all the difference. Even though we know what ultimately happens to Andor at the end of Rogue One, I'm still very much intrigued by it. And I'll tell you, Disney Plus is is the stuff, man. I, they've had like the Beatles, uh, uh, Peter Jackson documentary on the Get Back sessions, which are great. And next month, Mary McCartney, daughter of Paul, is uh, she has directed a documentary on Abbey Road. Hmm. And not just with the Beatles. And I've seen Rolling Stone uh, had the trailer on and so many artists talk about those hollowed halls of Abbey Road recording studios, and I can't wait to see that. I'll tell you, for my money, uh, Disney, uh, I've got two grandsons that watch it too, but for my money, that's one of the best streaming services out there. All right, Chris, we'll do it again next time. Always a lot of fun. I look forward to it, brother. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.